Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Monday, June 27th. We are doing a two-part special. This is the first season that on the NBA Deep Dives, we have basically covered the NBA draft all year round. So, of course, we have to wrap up the draft cycle with a two-part extravaganza. And I am here, as always, with my co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, the draft's come and gone. How are you doing other than, you know, the state of the world being on fire now? Uh, <laughs> I I'm good. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's always a weird time after the draft comes and goes because we, we spend so much time preparing and analyzing and breaking down every possible scenario. And now it's like, hmm, now what? Uh, so it, it, it's this fun little, uh, moment of calm before we, you know, we, we kind of start diving into 23 in the next couple months or weeks or however long, however long, I think it is exactly the right <laughs> timeline to put on this. So, Again, we're going to do two parts today. The second part will come out tomorrow, Tuesday, June the 28th. But in this part one, we're just going to go through the first round of the draft. There were some shocking moments. There were some moments that I think we've been expecting to happen basically since right around January. But, you know, there was certainly some intrigue at the top of the draft that I don't think many people were expecting until the Las Vegas odds shifted dramatically the night before. So... Let's start with one of the biggest surprises, in my mind anyway, of the draft, which was the number one overall pick. So for any of you who watched the No Ceilings TV live stream that we did of the draft, you could see my shocked reaction to the pick when it happened, but certainly didn't seem like this was going to be the case until right up until the moments leading into the draft. But the Orlando Magic, with the number one overall pick, decided to go with Paulo Boncaro and on our draft preview episode last week, we both made it clear that we had Chet as the number one prospect on our boards, but I had Paulo as a pretty firm number two. I had him at number one earlier in the season before I flip-flopped to Chet, and I think this is a fascinating selection for Orlando, not just because of you know all these smoke screens leading up to actual draft day, but I think that Paulo has a very interesting fit with the young Magic core. So what were your thoughts when Paulo Boncaro ended up being the number one overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft? Um, initially a little surprised because all of the intel and reporting and basically everything that had been, been done on the number one pick since the lottery was that Jabari Smith was seemingly a lock. Um, so, you know, going into it is like, okay, well, it's going to be Jabari. And then that obviously changed pretty quickly. But then once I, you know, kind of thought about it and you know, thought about the fit, thought about the talent, thought about potential, it's like, okay, well, Paulo just makes more sense across the board, at least for me and how I kind of evaluated the two. And I still had Jabari at two and Paulo at three on my big board. But when you think of Paulo's combination of size and skill, that guy should be going number one in 99% of drafts. And if he does hit that ceiling, he could be an MVP candidate. So based on that alone, I, you know, I never really understood why Jabari was this, supposed lock at number one but that's where all the reporting was pointing us once paulo went it's like okay this makes sense on so many different levels uh a i think the ceiling is higher for him uh and b i think the fit is a lot easier because they need that offensive creator and paulo's ability to initiate and score out of the low post the mid post uh from the perimeter it's all really impressive and then he's one of the best playmakers in this class too so from just a fit, a ceiling, a potential standpoint, it, it just it almost made too much sense. And 
you know, it's just like, why, why wasn't, or why weren't more people pushing for this as a possibility to happen tonight? Um, and why was Jabari just so firmly locked in at number one? So I have, I think, a slightly different perspective on this just because I still am all the way bought in on Jalen Suggs and his upside. But Mm -hmm. ultimately what the Orlando Magic have desperately needed for, you know, going on a decade now is a offensive superstar. And Paulo, I think, has a much higher chance of being that than Jabari Smith. His handle is much better. His playmaking, as you mentioned, you know, Paulo is one of the best playmakers in this class, regardless of position. And, you know, the Orlando Magic needs someone who can put the ball in the basket, but, you know, also distribute the ball to all of their young players. I think that Franz Wagner and Paolo Boncaro is an absolutely fascinating forward combo. I think Franz Wagner can cover up for a lot of Paolo's presumed growing pains on the defensive end. You know, maybe he comes into the NBA and is a pretty solid defender from day one. Most rookies aren't, so I wouldn't buy that really, but... You know, Franz was pretty solid on the defensive end from day one, and he showed a lot more scoring punch than I would have expected his first season. And I was someone who had rated Franz pretty highly headed into that draft. So, you know, I think that that's a really interesting forward combo up front. I think that drafting Paolo allows Jalen Suggs to come along more slowly on the offensive end. He's already shown some serious flashes on the defensive end, even though he definitely struggled offensively his first year in the league. So, I think it makes a lot of sense ultimately that the pick ended up being Paulo. I think it makes a lot more sense than the pick being Jabari. And that's not a knock on Jabari at all. It's just more that, you know, right. I think Paulo has a much higher range of variants, but ultimately the Orlando Magic needs someone to hit that upside a lot more than they need, you know, a really solid complimentary player who can do wonders on the defensive end right now. And that's, you know, sort of the debate between Jabari and Paulo there. But Let's move on quickly to the number two overall pick, which this one I think was a lot less of a surprise to people heading in. And Chet Holmgren ended up being the selection for the Oklahoma City Thunder. As I mentioned already, we both had Chet number one on our boards. I think this fit is about as perfect as it could be for Chet. And it'll be fascinating to see how Chet and Paolo do on the floor in year one, because you know while Paolo I think is going to have more opportunities to score the ball and more opportunity to put up counting stats, I think the situation for Chet is much better than it is for Paulo. And that's not as much a knock on the Orlando Magic as it is just that I think Chet just slots in perfectly to the young core that Oklahoma City is building. But what were your thoughts on, I think, a much less surprising selection at number two overall? Yeah, and it just felt like status quo. It's like, okay, cool. We're going to just submit this pick. No one's pay over, you know, overly paying to uh, jump up here. Cool. Here's our pick. We're going to take the best player in the draft and move on. Um, it really just kind of felt like that. Uh, I I really like how Chet fits there. I kind of like how Chet fits almost anywhere, honestly. Um, I think we're only, we've only scratched the surface of what he can be offensively. And I think he's the best room protector since Anthony Davis. So I, I thought this was a huge home run for the thunder. I really liked what they did with their draft overall. Um, You know, they're just investing in super high ceiling kind of weird prospects um who have a really high feel for the game and that's exactly what Chet is we'll definitely discuss the thunder draft overall at length later in this podcast probably more in part two of this extravaganza here but with Chet I think it's really interesting because I mean defensively I think he just makes sense right away you know especially if they end up retaining Derek Favors is like a veteran center with serious size who can, you know, be the guy on the block for the Thunder if they need someone to match up against bigger guys. Then Chet can do, you know, what he does best, which is, you know, be a serious shot blocking threat, be someone who can 
rotate out on the perimeter as needed, you know, be a huge part of their defense, which was not the strength of the Thunder team last year. And then, you know, on the offensive end with Shea Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy handling most of the on-ball responsibilities, you know, Chet can sort of be a complimentary piece offensively, at least his first year or so in the league and really grow into his game. I think he's an excellent playmaker for his position. And I think he'll be a really solid connecting piece on offense and, you know, when he does have those opportunities with the ball in his hands, I think there's a lot more room for him to grow as an on-ball player. And he'll be able to come on more slowly on the offensive end and just be a menace on the defensive end. So I think this situation is just wonderful for player and team. And I would not be surprised at all if, you know, Chet actually gets a bigger role in the offense later in his rookie year rather than, you know, a year two, year three kind of deal. But even if he doesn't, you know, he has the skills to be a really, really solid tertiary option on offense his first year or so in the league and just be a menace on the defensive end. I He's going to have a weird impact that we don't really see from rookies where he immediately makes their defense significantly better without hurting their offense at all when he's on the floor. Um, you know, we, we saw at Gonzaga this year where he was their fourth option on offense, and he's going to be a kind of a similar role this year in OKC where SGA is obviously their primary guy. Giddy is another primary ball handler, playmaker type. So when he's just asked to kind of be a connector and fill in on the edges there on offense, he has all the tools to do that, which then can also in turn, take a lot of pressure off of those two main guys. So I, I just, I love the fit. I love what that team is kind of shaping up to be. And I, I think they're going to be a little bit tougher this year than a lot of people think. So at third overall, the Houston Rockets took the third of the three big men that were considered at the top of this draft. And it's really fascinating the point you just made about Chet's role early on, because I think that's going to be pretty similar to what Jabari Smith Jr. is going to be doing for the Houston Rockets, namely a rookie who is going to be a serious plus for a team that has struggled mightily on the defensive end. While on the offensive end, I mean, Jabari Smith is one of the best shooters in this draft class. And basically that's what he's going to be mostly asked to do in Houston, you know, with Jalen Green monopolizing a lot of the on-ball responsibilities. Really all that is going to be asked of Jabari Smith early on is just space the floor, shoot threes. And he's exceptional at that. And on the defensive end, he's going to cover a lot of holes for them on the perimeter and, you know, also be someone he's not anywhere near the shot blocker that Chet Holmgren is, but, you know, he's someone who will be able to really shore up the Rockets defense on the perimeter and, you know, handle some inside responsibilities when he has to. So I think that Houston is probably really happy that Jabari Smith Jr. ended up there, even though certainly it seemed like heading into the draft, they were going to be very happy with Paulo Boncaro, who was assumed to fall there. Obviously that's not how things turned out, but even though it wasn't quite how maybe the Rockets and Rockets fans expected this to go heading into the draft, I think they should still be really happy with coming out of this draft with Jabari Smith Jr. as the third overall pick. Yeah, and going into the draft, we were all just fantasizing about the Jalen Green-Palo pick and roll. And even though I think it will be a little less versatile now, Rockets fans should still be equally as excited about the Jalen Green Jabari Smith pick and roll and the the pick and pop opportunities that that will generate because teams won't be able to just double Jalen coming off those screens or else, well, I I guess they can, but Jabari will just knock down five threes a game. Um, The way he'll be able to spot up off of Sangoon and Green as well when they go ISO or operate out of the mid post, um, that's going to be really valuable. And then kind of similar to Chet, he immediately improves that team's defense. They were a disaster at keeping people out of, out of the lane 
this last year, and he is one of the most versatile, if not the most versatile defender in this class. So having that size, that athleticism, that defensive versatility, that's a huge improvement to that rotation overall. And then to add on to that, he might be or is the best shooter in this class. It's an incredible combination that fits really well. It's not going to take on-ball developmental reps away from green. I, I think it's a really seamless fit that makes them a lot better in some really crucial areas. So I hope this isn't going to sound like Stockholm syndrome here as we transition to the fourth pick in this draft, but the Sacramento Kings ended up going with Keegan Murray fourth overall. And I said heading in that yeah, I had Jaden Ivey higher on my board. I had Jaden Ivey third. So I actually had him ahead of Jabari Smith, but I had Keegan at fifth. And I think that it was, pretty clear from all the reporting that I'd read anyway. Again, I don't have any sources, but you know, from what I had heard of other people who did have sources reporting things, it seemed pretty clear from early-ish on after draft lottery night that Keegan was the guy for the Kings. And if someone else was selected at four, it would be because the Kings had found a trade that they liked. And I think it seemed like if the trade was with someone other than the Detroit Pistons at five, that Keegan Murray would probably be gone by the time the Kings got to that pick. And I think that unless they got a crazy package from the Detroit Pistons to move up one slot that they really liked, that the best move for them was to just hold on to the pick and take the guy that they preferred out of Keegan Murray and Jaden Ivey. And for me, that was Jaden Ivey. But, you know, as Tyler Rucker and I discussed at length on No Ceiling shortly before the draft, there was, you know, a pretty reasonable argument for Keegan Murray to be the selection there. And yet basically all of the draft coverage I've seen coming out of draft night is the same old, same old Kings, you know, what are we doing here? Stuff that Kings fans have heard for the last 15 years. And, you know, again, maybe this is Stockholm syndrome, but I thought this was a perfectly fine draft night for the Sacramento Kings. And the thing that I was most worried about was them trading back and then getting neither of those two guys. And that didn't happen. So you know, is this just me, again, being overly happy that the Kings only did something slightly stupid as opposed to ridiculously stupid? Or is there a reason here to have some hope and think that this is a relatively reasonable decision by the Kings here at fourth overall? What are your thoughts before I talk myself deeper into this hole? Um, I, I thought all, you know, like, like you said, everyone has been killing them for taking Keegan. And I, I think that's a bit much. Um, Ivy still would have been my pick. I think he, you know, was the last guy to have, you know, that real superstar potential. Um, you know, whether he, he hits that or not, I, I might be a little more skeptical on, but I think that, you know, he was the last guy to kind of have that. I don't think it was a bad pick though. I, I I'm not going to kill the Kings. Like, Oh my God, look at how dumb these guys are. Cause it, Keegan's a really good player. I don't care that he's 21 years old. He's a sophomore. Yes. He's an older sophomore. He was one of the most productive players in col- the history of college basketball. Like this dude did it against everyone. He was super productive. He was super talented and he kind of fit a position of need. I don't know. I, I, I still think with the fourth pick, you kind of need to take the home run swing there. But Keegan, it's not like Keegan makes them a worse basketball team. So I, I think what you said where if they traded back and then missed out on both those guys and then they're taking another shooting guard, say like a Benedict Matherin at six or seven, or you know they trade even farther back and lose out on those the rest of those guys who are, you know, everyone views viewed in like that surefire top 10, that's when it becomes a disaster. So I, I, I didn't love the pick, 
but I certainly didn't hate it. You know, I like it, it was a really good pick. Keegan's a really good basketball player. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page here. That's really where I came down on it ultimately is the Kings got better as a team by adding Keegan Murray to the team. They got better in the short term. They got better in the long term. And again, I think there were many worse options that they could have gone with on draft night. I think this was an interesting dilemma for them to have. As with you, I would have sided on the Jaden Ivey side of things. But, you know, I think the Kings could have done a whole lot worse. And that, I think, leads us into the fifth overall pick for the Detroit Pistons and the Detroit Pistons ended up selecting Jaden Ivey. I think maybe part of the reason that I'm as happy as I am, or, you know, as mollified as I am, I guess, by the Keegan selection by the Kings here is I think that this situation works out much better for both players and both teams than the other way around. I think, you know, you and I have discussed how we thought the concerns about Jaden Ivey's fit in Sacramento were massively overblown, but ultimately, I mean, Detroit is the perfect situation for Jaden Ivey alongside Cade Cunningham. And it's going to be so much fun to watch those two guys leading the backcourt for the Detroit Pistons going forward. And as I'm sure we'll get into later, the Detroit Pistons certainly had a very good draft night overall, you know, as we sit literally days after the draft before any of these guys have even played summer league, much less an NBA minute. But, you know, I think things worked out pretty well for Detroit overall. And certainly the start of things working out pretty well for Detroit overall is that, Nobody traded up to get Jaden Ivey, and he fell to them at number five. After the lottery, you know, Detroit was just our biggest loser. It's like, oh, my God, this could not have gone worse for them. They missed out on these top four guys. Yeah, they're going to get Keegan. It's a good player, but he doesn't really fit, you know, what they need to improve on. And then the way this draft fell, this was a big reason why – I just loved everything they did. Um, I, I think the backcourt of Cade and Ivy is incredible. I think that's a perfect pairing because you're adding this freakish athleticism to Cade, um, who can then, you know, defensively, hopefully, theoretically, guard the quicker point guards while Cade can scale up a position or two. Um, you're, you're, you know, including another off-ball scorer with that elite athleticism. Um, Ivy isn't going to be forced into a point guard role. He's going to be able to play as a shooting guard like he would. Apparently, that's what he was telling teams during this whole process. That's what he is, is a shooting guard. He was he doesn't think of himself as a point guard. So I think that's really important and something that we've been saying this entire time. Um, and then with the second unit, that's when he can get those point guard reps and get that on ball development and improve his playmaking and his decision-making and his isolation scoring and all that kind of stuff when Kate is on the bench. So I I just think it's an absolutely perfect situation for him. And then you just include all the emotional stuff and the family ties to Detroit and the area is like, Oh my God, like you're just pulling at my heartstrings now. And just, yeah, yeah, I, I just, everything about that pick, I absolutely adored. I said on the live stream that my favorite part of draft night is watching all these young people have their yeah. dreams come true, you know, and it was just, especially the day after too, when they presented him with Detroit area jerseys of his father, his <laughs> grandfather and his mother, just, just beautiful emotional moments. So, you know, yet another reason why I'm happy ultimately that Jaden Ivey is not a Sacramento King, even though I would have liked to see him <laughs> a Sacramento King, you know, the, the emotional connection really, really pulled it, really pulled up the heartstrings. It was hard. Hard as a human being not to be incredibly happy for him. But moving on from that to the sixth overall pick, and this is a player who I know you were lower on, but even I was a little bit surprised that he ended up going this high 
the Indiana Pacers selected Benedict Matherin, and I'm sure Pacers fans are very upset that Jaden Ivey didn't fall one pick further, given that, you know, he's an Indiana native. But I don't know. This is an interesting choice, I think, by the Pacers. I think it shows that they have a whole lot of faith in Tyrese Halliburton, which I would if I were them, to be entirely clear. But, Agreed. you know, with someone like Benedict Matherin, you're really betting on him to iron out the inconsistencies of his defensive game and just be an elite off-ball shooter and, you know, continue to run off screens and do all of those sorts of secondary offensive things for Indiana with Tyrese Halbert and having the ball in his hands most of the time. So, again, I know you were slightly lower on Matherin than I was. Even I didn't expect him to go in the top half of the lottery. It's not that I'm particularly out on the pick. It's more just that I was surprised that he ended up being the selection here. There was certainly some buzz heading into draft night that Matherin was going to be, you know, in consideration for the top six, top seven. And here he is going sixth overall. And, you know, again, I think there are reasons why it makes sense, but if I were Indian, I probably would have gone in a different direction here. And I know you would have since you were lower on him. So your thoughts here. It's fine. I mean, I, I get it. The, the athleticism, the off ball shooting, I, you know, I do think he is a nice pairing with Halliburton, um, I, I just don't see that on ball potential that a lot of people were trying to sell, um, as we got closer to the draft. Um, I, I think he improved, you know, with his kind of on ball decision-making and his ability to pass out of drives and stuff like that. But it wasn't, the, the improvement wasn't to an extent where it's like, oh, okay, two years, this is going to be a real part of his game. I still just see him as purely an off-ball scorer. And and to be clear, that's a really valuable skill. And I think he's going to be a really good player at that. I'm just not sure how, how he necessarily takes this or elevates that rotation to the next level. So I, I think it's a fine pick. I like him as a player. He's a good player. I just don't view his offense as anything more than being a really, really good off-ball, sh- off-ball scorer. Um, and guys who, you know, when we talk about their defense and the first thing we say is, oh, when he locks in, it's like, I always struggle to really get around to buying in heavily on that because how frequently do we see that, you know, oh God, if only he consistently bought in, how many times does that turn into, oh, he buys in every possession. So, you know, if, if he does that, I think his defense has a lot of potential, but I'm also not going to hold my breath on him be, becoming a top tier defender anytime soon. So I was slightly surprised by the Benedict Matherin selection at sixth overall. And I was quite surprised by Paulo being the number one overall pick, but this I think might've been the biggest surprise for me in the top half of the lottery. The Portland trailblazers end up taking the swing on Shaden Sharp here with the seventh overall pick. And I was mainly surprised by this because after they made the trade for Jeremy Grant, it seemed like they were going in the direction of, okay, we're going to try and build one last playoff contending team around Damian Lillard and Shaden Sharp is not exactly a pick that sort of falls in line with that. Now, obviously the upside with Shaden Sharp is immense. I mean, he was the number one recruit in his high school class for a reason, but I don't know. It seems like two very different messages that they sent very close to each other in trading assets for a win now kind of player in Jeremy Grant, and then taking the biggest swing for the fence as possible with Shaden Sharp ending up going seventh overall. I thought there was a pretty decent chance that Shaden Sharp slid further, given that he was such an unknown after not playing organized basketball for a year. But, you know, clearly Mike Smith's the new guy in the front office for the Portland Trailblazers, had quite a bit of intel on Shaden Sharp and seemed comfortable enough with that intel to make him the selection at seventh. But 
don't know. I thought he would have slid a bit further than seventh, especially since the signals out of Portland seem to not be in the rebuilding kind of direction yet. Sharp is, you know, serious variant swing here, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on Portland ending up with Shaden Sharp here at seventh overall? And I, I thought it made a lot of sense just given the way that Schmitz has talked about Sharp in the past. Um, and obviously Schmitz has probably some of the most intel on him, uh, given that he's been watching him closely for the last however many years. So I, I think that kind of gave them a step up on some other people. Um also, obviously, Schmitz was not the one who solely made this decision, but Joe Cronin, yes. their new GM, who's in his first year, has also been the guy who's been credited credited in that organization be, as someone who's been more willing to take big home run swings in the draft. Apparently, he was super high on Anthony Simons um, and some of the other guys that they've taken these big swings on. So when you kind of combine all that, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, you know, just thinking kind of more down the road they're they're not going to rush sharp into playing necessarily anytime soon you know they they were really patient with simons they've been patient with other guys i expect them to take a similar approach to that where we see kind of spot minutes from sharp and used almost entirely in an off-ball role um i like his off-ball scoring maybe a little more than than his on ball right now um so you know just kind of walking that tightrope of being competitive now and planning for the future. I, I, I really liked it as a move. I, I thought it made a lot of sense and it was a, a good spot to take a huge swing because say a year from now, Dame is like, sorry guys, I, I can't do it again. I like, please move me. Then you're getting a big haul for him and you're bringing in a bunch of likely draft picks and younger guys who will then fit a little closer to that timeline. So I, I thought it made a lot of sense. Interesting. So we're on slightly different takes here with the Shaden Sharp pick. I think we're going to be much closer to agreement with this next pick. At eighth overall, the New Orleans Pelicans select Dyson Daniels. I love this pick for the yeah. Pelicans. I think it makes so much sense. I think Daniels can come in and immediately be a passer playmaker type to get the ball to their three stars on the offensive end. I think he can cover a ton of holes for them on the defensive end. I think he fits in right away as like a fourth or fifth starter type. And I think this really helps take New Orleans from, you know, solid competitive play into playoff team from that sort of range to, I think next year I would be surprised if they aren't in serious contention for sixth seed or higher. And I think Dyson Daniels really helps get them there. Yeah. I, I, I love the fit. Um, just the, the versatility, the defense, his ability to kind of be a connector on that team playing alongside Ingram and Zion and CJ. Um, he doesn't need the ball to be successful. He's a good passer. He can attack closeouts when the ball swings to him. Um, and then, you know, landing in that situation with Fred Vincent, who's one of the better shooting coaches in the league. I, I have way more faith in his jumper developing a little more quickly um, now than if he would have landed somewhere else. So for, for both parties, the Pelicans and Daniels, I, I thought this was a, just an absolutely perfect fit. Up next at number nine, the San Antonio Spurs selected Jeremy Sohan, a Polish-British national man of the world, someone who I was slightly lower on, but given that the Spurs selected him at number nine, I'm pretty sure I was wrong on my evaluation, so we can chalk that up as a loss for me pretty much right away. What are your thoughts on Jeremy Sohan going to the Spurs here ninth overall? 
really similar to kind of Daniels in terms of the shooting and how, you know, I now project that to improve. Um, I obviously, I don't think he's going to be a 40% three point shooter, but I have a little more faith that he can iron out some of the inconsistencies with his form, improve his touch a little bit uh, because the Spurs have a pretty darn good track record of doing that. Um, And then just that IQ and defensive versatility. I, it is a perfect fit. It's guys, it's a similar mold of guys they've brought into that spot in the rotation in the past. Um, and I think he's just kind of the next evolution of that. Unfortunately, we now get to the 10th overall pick and <laughs> something that you feared very much heading into draft night, unfortunately came to pass Johnny Davis ending up with the Washington wizards at 10th. And we both were higher on him than this. You were higher on him than I was, but I don't know. I mean, I think the Wizards certainly could have done a lot worse than selecting Johnny Davis, but obviously this is not the fit that you want to have wanted. So Tyler, give us your Johnny Davis lament here. No, it's fine. I, I'm just still scarred in how they've treated my my sweet prince, Denny. Um, God, I might have to become a Wizards fan now with Johnny and Denny on that team. Uh, oh, brutal. Oh, no. um, <laughs> but nine, he's he was my favorite guard in the draft. So, you know, to get that at 10, I, I I love the pick. I love the value. It's not my favorite landing spot for Davis individually, but I think he helps that team and he kind of improves their backcourt depth. Um, even if they play him and alongside Beal, if they resign him, unless that gets really weird. Um, but if they kind of move Beal to a little more of a pseudo point guard and let Johnny play off of that, then it's like, okay, now we're talking about some interesting offensive looks, uh, Davis can then take the tougher perimeter defensive assignments um, and he doesn't have to worry about being a massive usage player because that's not who he is. That's not what he's best at. So if he can be more of a connector, off ball scorer, uh, ball mover, cutter, offensive rebounder, that kind of thing on offense and then play the defense that so many of us fell, fell in love with, you know, I, I think it's tremendous value. We are about to get into a very strange section of the first round (laughs) and the lottery. So at number 11, it was a pick belonging to the New York Knicks. They traded it to Oklahoma City for three future first round picks that are lottery protected, all three of them, if I'm remembering that correctly. So I don't know. I mean, the Knicks fans in the No Ceilings crew reacted live not particularly happy about this move i mean it's you know one first round pick for three first round picks in one sense but you know it's also the knicks trading with the thunder which i think automatically biases the view that anyone is going to take of the particular move but uzman jang was the selection here that ended up being moved to the oklahoma city thunder and he was someone who i had a grade on slightly out of the lottery so a bit of a reach in my mind to take him at 11 but you know, given that he's going to OKC, there's a lot of reason to think that this is a move that's going to work out. I mean, he's 6'10", he can handle the ball, he looked a lot better the second half of the season with New Zealand than he did the first half of the season. So it's a swing that I understand. And, you know, especially with OKC, at some point soon, they're going to get to a point where there's a roster crunch. You know, they're not quite there yet, but at some point in the future, they can't make 27 first round selections and 35 second round selections in the next three years and have them all play on the roster. So, you know, I get the consolidation from that standpoint and I get the swing, but I don't know. I mean, I don't want to, you know, (laughs) misjudge this from the Knicks fan perspective, given that the Knicks fans that were 
live on our broadcast when this pick happened were not particularly pleased by it. But it's not the worst trade in the world in my mind, even though I don't think it was the best decision by the Knicks, especially since they made some other moves that I am certainly less pleased by from their perspective than this one. But I don't know. It's an interesting swing, I think, by the Thunder and this particular trade, emphasis on this particular trade, was I don't think as bad for the Knicks as it seemed like it was in the moment. But again, maybe that's just because I'm lower on Jeng than some. What are your thoughts here with Uzma Jeng going with the 11th overall pick and then going right to the Oklahoma City Thunder? Yeah, and that that's one of the reason that you, reasons that you stockpile all these picks is that so if one of your guys starts falling and you want to hop back up and you know get them and take that home run swing, you can afford to overpay a little bit. And that's basically what the Thunder did. Um, I, I think Jang is going to be an absolute disaster in his rookie year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't deter me from his long-term potential, though. Um, if, yeah. you know, the, the the first half of his season was the worst tape of any prospect in this draft. And his second half was some of the most impressive. So I do think he's going to face a similar hurdles in the NBA early in his career with adapting to the speed and physicality of it. He has to get stronger. Hopefully those trends towards playing more physical defense that he showed in the NBL towards the end of the season, hopefully that carries over. If it doesn't, I think he could be in some trouble. Um, I really liked how the shot looked. The passing was really impressive. So he's going to be a project. Uh, Thunder fans shouldn't be deterred when he looks like a disaster as a rookie. Um, there's a lot to like there. It's can he continue to show his mental fortitude and overcome these hurdles because there are going to be a lot of them. But if he hits, it, God, we're talking about a really unique roster in OKC. Up next at number 12, the Oklahoma City Thunder drafting with their own pick. Well, I mean, from the LA Clippers, but a pick that they had heading into draft night rather than a pick that they acquired on draft night. And they went with friend of No Ceilings, No Ceilings favorite. Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. And this was, I think, a very interesting pick for them. He's someone who provides size on the wing for them, someone who, you know, can play make, who can shoot, who has a really high basketball IQ. This is a move that, again, I was slightly lower on Jalen Williams than some, I'll put it that way. But I think this move, it makes a lot of sense for the Thunder. And, you know, Again, the Thunder are turning into one of those teams where if they pick someone, I'm much more willing to buy into the positives of their game than if, say, a different team went with them. And I think this fit could work out really well for both Jalen Williams and the Thunder in the longer term. But what are your thoughts on Jalen Williams jumping all the way up to number 12 overall in this 2022 NBA draft? It it surprised me a little just kind of based on his age. Um, I I thought they were going to take another big swing at a guy. you know, like one of the ones we're going to talk about soon, but it, it fits that common theme of guys that they go after who are high feel, good ball movers, um, and just versatile players. All they look for, or not all, but some of the top things that they look for are, can you do multiple things? Do you have a really high understanding of the game? And that's exactly what Jalen Williams had. I and mean, he was impressive all season. It wasn't just the combine that's when he may have opened some eyes, but he was really impressive all year. So he can play on or off ball. I think he provides some unique options um, on the wing. And so I, I, 
I like him as a player. Uh, this felt a little high to me, but everything we were hearing was that he for sure wasn't making it past 16. So this kind of seemed like about the range that he was going to go in. It is interesting to me that the pick that the Thunder traded for is the pick directly before this, which you know made me think that Jalen Williams was their guy at 12 heading in. And then Usman Jang fell a little bit further than they thought he would and said, you know what, why don't we just use some of our giant war chest of assets and make move up and get both of these guys. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they, they, they may have talked about jumping to 13 instead. Um, but you know, maybe someone else was looking to jump to 11. So they, they had those extra picks. They may have overpaid and they just kind of went and got their guy. So it, it's, he, he was probably, you know, let me rephrase that. So they, I'm, I'm guessing that they weren't necessarily planning on both of them falling that far. And then once they were both sitting there, it's like, okay, these guys have basically the same grade um, for different reasons. Let's just go get both of them. At number 13 overall, a pick that originally belonged to the Charlotte Hornets and through a series of incredibly confusing draft night moves that I don't think I ever fully got the handle on what those trades nope. actually were, but... What I know is the end result, and the end result is that the pick was Jalen Duran, and he went to the Detroit Pistons. And wow, what what a night for the Detroit Pistons! Basically, they get a serious athlete, rim runner, lob threat who has real defensive potential. Basically, as far as I could tell, in return for taking on Kemba Walker's contract and immediately planning to agree to a buyout with him, I thought the Pistons just made out like bandits on this draft night, and getting Jalen Duran at 13 as a compliment to Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. I mean, I think that of the situations that Jalen Duran could have ended up going to, this is one of the best, especially with Ivey being part of the draft night hall for them. So what are your thoughts on Jalen Duran being the pick here at 13 and then ultimately ending up heading to the Detroit Pistons? I, I thought this was a brilliant move uh, by Troy Weaver. I, I believe it, they just gave up a first round pick, which was the Milwaukee first that they got from Portland in the Jeremy Grant trade. Uh, so probably a pick in the high twenties. Shucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> Too I, bad. Yeah, exactly. So you're you're not giving up a ton there, and you're getting, you know, one of the most physically impressive big men we've seen in recent years, and he's a year younger than the rest of these guys. Just adding that defensive potential that athleticism to this roster i think is really important um he's going to have an awesome passer and decision maker to play with in kate cunningham something we haven't seen uh him have in quite some time so that's very exciting and it also kind of essentially takes him out of the deandre ayton sweepstakes which i really like for them um i i think deandre ayton's a really good player but I don't think he makes sense for where they are as a team, at least giving him max money right now. So I think they maintained a lot of flexibility with this and kept, now they have a core of three elite prospects um, going who are all on the same timeline going forward. So I, I thought it was absolutely perfect. Well, speaking of absolutely perfect, my favorite fit of the lottery right here, 
Oshai Baji, our prodigal son slash not prodigal because there's absolutely nothing prodigal about Oshai Baji as a prospect or a person, but Oshai Baji going to the Cleveland Cavaliers here. I absolutely love this pick. He's going to be a massive help for them as an off-ball defender. He's going to space the floor for Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen down low, and he's going to... I think really contribute to this team that was the number one seed in the Eastern conference at one point last season, you know, they fell apart down the stretch mostly due to injury, but you know, I think the fact that they ended up as the ninth seed by the end of the season this past year, I think that Oshak Baji takes them from that range to, you know, staying in contention for home court advantage the entire year, rather than just the first half of the season. I mean, I think he fills so many gaps for them. And I think if he continues on the developmental curve that, we saw during his four years at Kansas that he could be even more as a prospect than he is right now. So again, this pick just makes so much sense. And I absolutely love this for player and team here. Ochai going 14th to the Cavs. So yeah, that's enough for me. I have a feeling you have similar thoughts, but go ahead. What are your thoughts on Oshai ending up here with the Cavaliers? Yeah. And you, you said it all is perfect for him. Um, and he's someone who can come in and help contribute to the rotation right away. Um, one of the best off-ball scorers in this class, one of the best team defenders in this class. I think their defense is going to look really impressive next year, and I think he's basically going to kind of fill that role that they hoped Isaac Okoro was going to. Um, but if I really hope Okoro's offense takes you know, a big step forward this next year because having both of them on the wing with Darius Garland and then Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, God, that defense is going to be a lot of fun. All right, so now we're out of the lottery, so we're going to move a little more quickly through the remainder of the first round. But Oshai Abaji was my favorite fit of the lottery. The pick at number 15 was, I think, the most predicted player and team match of the entire season. So Charlotte Hornets ended up going with Mark Williams here as the 15th pick. It was basically either the 13th pick or the 15th pick to the Charlotte Hornets was going to be Mark Williams. And seeing as they ended up trading the 13th pick, obviously it ended up being Mark Williams at 15. I mean, this just similar to Ochai Akbaji makes way too much sense for that not to be the pick. But your thoughts on Mark Williams here at 15th overall? He's the most NBA-ready center in this class uh, and still has a lot of room to grow and improve. Super low maintenance on offense, runs really well in transition, great hands, dunks everything. Uh, has really good touch. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a shooter, shooter, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if he develops a you know a ten to fifteen foot face up game. Really good screener, really good in the pick and roll, um, and then just incredibly impressive defensively. I thought he moved his feet really well. Absurd wingspan, really good timing, great verticality, just perfect fit that will immediately improve a massive hole on that team's defense. At number 16, one of the most surprising sliders out of the lottery here, A.J. Griffin ends up falling 16th to the Hawks. Probably, again, I don't have any sourcing here, but probably I'm assuming due to injury concerns, just given his struggles with his knee over the past couple of years. But him going to Atlanta, I think, makes a ton of sense. He's basically just going to be asked to shoot the ball, and he's probably the best shooter in this class. I mean, if not, then very close. I mean, 40% consistently throughout high school, throughout his year at Duke. I think that even if he doesn't develop much to his game beyond his shooting, that this is still going to be a very solid pickup for the Atlanta Hawks here at 16. Just obscene value. Um, I, I know there were even people who had him top five on their boards. I think he's got more kind of 
on ball equity than he was allowed to show. I think he's definitely right at the top of the list in terms of best shooters in this class. The big question is the health, which I have no idea about. I was not privy to that information. Um, and then neither the am I to be entirely clear. <laughs> and then the defense that that entire Duke team was a disaster defensively besides Mark Williams. Um, and, you know, honestly, no one's really improved significantly defensively at Duke recently, but what is he going to be as a defender? He keeps saying he's got more to show that he's better than what he was this year. There's a lot of salesmanship going on in that. A lot of people always say they're better than what they showed when concerns come up. So it'll be interesting, but I think at worst, he's going to be an elite off ball shooter and that at a minimum in the middle of the first round, it, it's a valuable player. Well, someone who doesn't have anywhere near as many questions on the defensive end, certainly going 17th, the Houston Rockets with their second first round pick end up going with Tari Eason out of LSU. And I think this makes a lot of sense for them. I mean, they desperately need defensive help. They really need some defensive playmaking and Tari Eason will provide that for them. And, you know, he's someone who can maybe slide up the spot to allow Jabari Smith to roam at power forward or, you know, play alongside future Hall of Famer Alperin Shangun as power forward in those kind of lineups. I think it makes a lot of sense for the Houston Rockets to go with Tari Eason here. Yeah, the the fit and then just pairing him and Jabari on the wing defensively is, you know, something I'm assuming is going to give teams nightmares in a couple of years. Uh, that that chaotic defending, the defensive playmaking is all super impressive and it's immediately going to improve um, what basically exactly what I said earlier about the Rockets and their complete inability to keep anyone out of the lane pairing Tari and Jabari together on the perimeter is a huge upgrade. At number 18, the Chicago Bulls went with Dalen Terry out of Arizona, someone who was a late riser in this process, especially after he got a lot more playing time down the stretch run of the season for Arizona. I think this is a really interesting choice for Chicago. You know, they add someone who has serious playmaking talent. His shot is slowly coming along, not all the way there yet, but incredibly efficient score inside the arc. And, someone who I think could really help this Bulls team as a connector if everything goes right. And I mean, if he continues on his developmental trajectory, he definitely has the potential to be someone who outshines this draft slot at 18, even though I know that I was slightly lower on him than yet than this. And I'm pretty sure you were too, if I'm remembering correctly, but I think it's a worthwhile gamble for the Bulls here at 18th overall. Yeah. I was just a little lower just based on the pure big board number, but this was kind of the general range where I thought it made sense for him to kind of, start getting real consideration. I, I really like this fit. Um, it kind of surprised me a little. I thought they were going to look more for a power forward, but given the injury issues that their backcourt had this last season, he makes a lot of sense. And he's like similar type of player to what a lot of those guys are. So at very worst, I think he's insurance for Caruso or Lonzo Ball or Io um, or Zach Levine injury, and best case scenario, he's a six-seven defensive menace who's one of the best passers in this class. If the shot really develops and becomes more reliable um, as like just a catch and shoot guy, then God, they, they, they've got some crazy backcourt depth. Um, but but worst case scenario, their perimeter defense just continues to improve. All right, I'm sorry in advance for the next few picks that we're going to have to go through here, but. At 19th overall, the selection originally held by the Minnesota Timberwolves that was traded to Memphis as part of a flurry of pick trades that we're going to get into in this next section of the podcast. 
the Memphis Grizzlies ending up with Jake LaRavia, who I think from the Memphis perspective on this trade, which, you know, at this point in the draft anyway, was basically 22 and 29 for 19. Memphis had a really crowded rotation last season. So, you know, them consolidating a bit, I think makes a ton of sense here. And the selection being Jake Arabia, I mean, he's someone who can fill a lot of gaps for them on the defensive end, you know, guard one through four, I think pretty reliably relatively soon at the NBA level, probably more two through four than one through four, but, you know, someone who can be a reliable defensive piece, who's a great playmaker, who's a solid enough shooter. I think he fills a lot of gaps for Memphis and their rotation was, you know, pretty spectacular last season. And adding someone like Jake Laravia just makes even more sense in terms of really solidifying the core of this Grizzlies team. This was a little rich for me. I like Laravia. I think he's a good ball player. Um, I worry a little bit about the foot speed. Um, I, so I, I, I'm a little more skeptical that he can guard NBA twos. Uh, I think he's going to be mostly fours and a good amount of threes. Um, but he kind of just does a little bit of everything at at a decently high level. So there were a lot of rumblings that there were a handful of teams in the twenties that really liked him. So I, I definitely understand just consolidating, going up, getting your guy. Um, I, I wouldn't have taken him this high. I thought there was a lot better value um, pretty much across the board here, but he just kind of adds to that, that, wing forward depth of guys who can do a little bit of everything and space the floor, defend, pass. Uh, I really like him as a passer. I thought the entire Wake Forest team was actually a really fun passing team. But yeah, it it was fine. Yeah, I mean, I was higher on his teammate, honestly, in terms of my evaluation. But, you know, I thought he was a solid end of the first round guy. So him going 19th is not too much of a reach. But someone who I was higher on than his draft position up Same. next at number 20, the San Antonio Spurs go with Malachi Branham. And I thought this was an interesting selection just in terms of, you know, I thought backcourt was one of the more solidified slots on the Spurs roster slash rotation. And certainly that will be more of an issue for me when we get into their third first round pick here. But I thought, you know, given that he was someone who I had, 14th so lottery talent on my board for them to get malachi brandon out of ohio state here at number 20 is i think a really solid pickup for the spurs and i think even though they have a relatively crowded backcourt compared to some of their other positions i think them taking a chance on the long-term development for malachi brandon makes a ton of sense for them here at 20th overall just a, another guy with high offensive feel who i think will fit in really nicely to what they like to do a guy who can you know, spot up, spot up off ball, uh, improves their off ball shooting, and then can also run a pick and roll to perfection and get to his spots in the mid range, pass out of it. Um, the defense needs a lot of work, but it kind of seems like there may be a bit of upheaval in the San Antonio backcourt uh, going into next year. So in terms of projects and kind of players, the, the, the offensive pairing of him and Josh Primo uh, in the long run could be a good amount of fun. Up next at 21st overall, I was kind of surprised by this pick, to be entirely honest, but there are a lot of reasons that I think it makes sense. The Denver Nuggets went with Christian Brown out of Kansas, and I mean, he's going to be spacing the floor and making cuts off Nikola Jokic, so he'll probably you know do pretty well for the 21st overall pick. I thought it was a bit of a reach, but it's a reach that I thought made sense in the context of what he can provide on the offensive end. And, you know, I think defensively, he's going to be solid sooner rather than later. Certainly he competes on that end, which is a huge part of the battle on the defensive end. So a little bit of a reach in my mind, but 
again, I, I get why they made this reach here. So Denver Nuggets going with Christian Brown at 21st. Your thoughts, Tyler? I not, I had him at 24, so I, I love this pick. I love the fit. Uh, you know, just immediate off-ball athleticism, off-ball shooting, uh, good competitive defender, uh, you know, plays with a, let's say, attitude um, that, that I love watching. So I, I was pretty convinced that they were going to go a wing here which wing, you know, there, there are a couple others that I kind of just guessed that they were going to go with, but I, I really like that fit. Um, high, you know, high IQ guy, or at least a guy who has proven to that he can contribute to winning in you know, pretty prestigious programs by doing a bunch of different things. So I, I really like that for Denver. All right, here we are. 22nd overall pick, which ended up going to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the selection was Walker Kessler. And you said that you talked yourself into this more on draft night after the original selection. I mean, you know, certainly the Timberwolves could use some rim protection, and Walker Mm -hmm. Kessler provides that. I think it's a bit rich for him to be the pick at 22, but again, you're the Timberwolves fan here, so I'm going to let you have your soapbox on Walker Kessler being the pick that the Timberwolves end up getting in the first round after a whole lot of trades. Yeah. It, it, it just felt uninspired. You know, there, there were a handful of guys still on the board who I thought, you know, had starter upside and a floor of just being a solid rotation guy. Um, but you know, I should start with the good and that is rim protection. He is the best shot blocking rate or the best block rate since 2008 which was larry sanders um i don't know that that's kind of about it he'll he'll improve their rim protection he'll improve their defensive rebounding um and then he provides legitimate uh vertical spacing on offense that they don't have with anyone else so those are three really important things that they need in their rotation i just don't see him ever being a starter and to you know not use the 22nd pick on someone who at least has that potential. Um, I, I thought was kind of uninspired, kind of late, not lazy, but just a, a, a misuse of resources. And it, it felt like they could have got him later. Um, or even, even if they would have gone with a guy like Christian Coloco, who I think moves his feet tremendously better. Um, you know, I, I would have been able to swallow that at 22, a little easier. It's fine. They, they got a backup center who does a, who does some things that no one else on the roster does. I'm just not sure that's worth the 22nd pick. Well, maybe you'll feel a bit better after we discuss the 23rd pick here. This is as big a shock to the first round in my mind. And this pick ultimately ended up going from the Philadelphia 76ers to the Memphis Grizzlies. The trade being this pick for D'Anthony Melton, who I think is a much better player now and probably a much better player in the future than the player that the Memphis Grizzlies ended up taking here, David Roddy out of Colorado state, who I thought maybe some team would reach for early in the second round. I did not expect a team to reach for him 23rd overall. And given how successful the Grizzlies have been in recent years with their draft picks, I'm withholding judgment a little bit, but I was quite frankly shocked that David Roddy was the selection at 23rd and you know, given that the Grizzlies had the 29th pick heading into this draft, maybe there was a team somewhere between 23 and 29 that they thought was going to take David Ruddy, I guess. But I don't know. This was the most confusing selection of the first round in my mind. I, I really didn't like this pick. I had David Roddy at 61. 
um, fun. Wow, college lower player. than I did. <laughs> I thought he he was a really fun college player, really good, you know, kind of creative physical scorer. Um, I don't know who he guards in the NBA because he's not big enough to guard threes or fours. He's not quick enough, um, and his feet aren't good enough to guard guards. So I I thought this was kind of rough. I'm really excited for this clip to age really poorly uh, once he starts <laughs> shooting 45% from three and, you know, being a versatile defender. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just didn't get this one at all. Up next at 24, we talked earlier about how wonderful the human story for Jaden Ivey was. And this was another wonderful moment of just getting to, you know, vicariously experience joy through Marjan Beauchamp, who ended up being the selection here at 24 to the Milwaukee Bucks out of the G League night. I mean, him going from, you know, struggling with homelessness in his youth to playing at community college after, you know, not quite getting the looks that he wanted after his high school experience to him going to the G League Ignite and just working his tail off and becoming a first round selection. From a human perspective, it was just wonderful to see Marjan Beauchamp get the experience of hearing his name called in the first round on draft night. From the basketball perspective, I know that I was higher on Marjan than you were, but I think Milwaukee's a fit that makes a ton of sense for him. I think he can be, you know, his shot can come along more slowly. And for the most part, he can just be relied upon as an energy guy and defender on the wing, which is something that I think will really help bolster Milwaukee's rotation. So A plus is all the way around for the human being, for the fit, for everything involved with Marjan Beauchamp being the 24th overall pick for Milwaukee Bucks. And easily the best story in this draft. Um, but then just from a fit, I, I really liked it for him. I was a little lower on him. He was just one of these guys, this class that I just struggled to really get a grasp on. And I just, the way the defense is, the defense trended later in the year uh, concerned me a little bit, but maybe in the NBA, just that, who knows? Maybe that he is more of a defender that he showed in the first half, which I thought was really promising. Um, and I do kind of buy the at least the spot up shooting long term. So I, I don't think that there really would be a better landing spot for him to kind of perfect those skills and star in his role, because I don't think he's going to be asked to do anything more than knock down corner threes and de defend athletic wings. And that's exactly what he does. Speaking of perfect fit, Blake Wesley at 25th to the San Antonio Spurs. Now, I was not as high on Blake Wesley as the 25th overall pick. I think he has a lot of work to do, especially on the offensive end. But ultimately, the parts of his tape that I liked by far the best were the parts of his tape that were on the defensive end rather than mm -hmm. the offensive end. And yes. I think with San Antonio, he's going to probably gear in a lot more on the defensive side than the offensive side. Hopefully, he will take some of the worst shots out of his diet. So a prospect who I was not particularly high on in Blake Wesley, but I mean, if it's going to work out anywhere, I think San Antonio is one of the best spots he could have landed in. So we'll see. I mean, you know, you were mentioning the David Roddy part getting clipped and people laughing at you. This is definitely the moment where if people clip this, they're going to laugh at me for not liking the Blake Wesley selection. But ultimately I think that, of the scenarios where it was going to work out, San Antonio was probably one of the best situations. And, you know, hopefully he focuses more on the defensive end because I thought he showed real promise on the defensive end, even though his offensive tape was difficult for me to try and evaluate. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. And the, 
the defense was really promising, really encouraging for who he could be. Um, and then, you know, kind of similar to Sohan and Daniels, this is one of the ideal landing spots for him to improve the shooting issues that we kind of saw. Um, I think he's, you know, or the other big flaw or concern with him that I have is what he does when he doesn't have the ball. And I don't think there's a much better spot for him to learn how to do that than San Antonio. So in terms of just taking a swing at the end of the first round and the team who did that and the fit for the player, I, I kind of actually really like this for both parties, even though I, you know, my ranking of Wesley was much lower. Speaking of liking this for both parties, maybe I'm being a bit too optimistic here in front of the Timberwolves fan, but the 26th overall pick ended up being Wendell Moore out of Duke, who, again, after a series of moves, pick started with Dallas, then to Houston, and then to Minnesota by the end of the night with the Timberwolves sending out 29 and some other pieces in that package. I thought that this was a solid selection for the Timberwolves, someone who can fill a lot of gaps for them, someone who can shoot, someone who can move the ball pretty well on the offensive end. You know, not like an A-plus pick in my mind, but I thought pretty solid for them. But you're the Timberwolves fan here, so what were your thoughts on Wendell Moore being the selection here at 26 going to the Timberwolves? It was entirely fine. I don't know. I, I was lower. I think I may have been the lowest on Wendell Moore out of our entire no ceilings crew. Um, I just didn't get it with him. I didn't like the defense. I thought most of his positive impact on offense came from what he did with the ball. And I don't think he's going to meet that threshold in the NBA to be a pick and roll or a distributor. Um, so I don't know. It's fine. If the shooting improvements aren't legitimate that he showed, then I don't see how he's anything more than the ninth man in a rotation. But if they are, then, you know, maybe we're talking about a quality sixth or seventh uh, guy in the rotation, which if you can get that at the end of the first round, uh, that's really promising. And even though he was a junior, he was a really young junior. So maybe there's a lot more growth for him to kind of show and experience. So I, I'm optimistic hopefully, or I'm trying to be optimistic about it, but um, just based on, you know, my individual eval of him, um, just another pick that I just didn't really understand. So you might've been lower on Wendell Moore than the rest of the No Ceilings crew. I certainly was higher on the player that was drafted 27th overall than everybody else in the No Ceilings crew. And I have to admit that I was a bit worried heading into draft night about this player ending up in a situation that might not have showcased their strengths. But instead, I think this is pretty close to a perfect fit for the player anyway, with Nikolajovic going to the Miami Heat at 27th overall. You know, given that this Miami Heat team was the number one seed in Eastern Conference, I think that he's not going to be heavily relied on as a starter anytime soon in Miami. I think he can come into the rotation, you know, Part of his struggles were with his effort on the defensive end. That's something that will get him benched pretty quickly in Miami. And, you know, in terms of his upside, my belief in his playmaking and his shooting touch, I think that, you know, he will have a chance to maximize both of those things with the Miami Heat. So a pick that I could have been worried about heading into draft night. Instead, I'm very happy with the situation, even though he fell a bit further than I would have let him fall personally. I think that this is a really solid selection for Miami, but you obviously were much, much lower on Jovic than I was. What are your thoughts on him being the selection here for the Miami Heat? This really surprised me, and I I didn't really like the pick at all. Um, I, I wouldn't have wow, taken you. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked by this turn of events. I, I wouldn't have taken Jovic in the first. Um, 
it's I'm not surprised that he went in the first, but I'm really surprised that he went to the Heat. Um, Pat Riley railed against the team for not playing good enough defense, and then they bring in a guy who doesn't play defense. Um, so I, I'm thinking that their thought process is that, okay, we can kind of replace Duncan Robinson with this guy and some of his shooting and, and, you know, high level playmaking for a much lower cost. But I, this was another one where I just, it, it missed me. Wow. I'm, I'm just, again, truly floored that you were not a fan of the Nikolaevich selection here by the Miami heat. But I think we agree a little bit more on the next player selected 28th overall, the Golden State Warriors selected Patrick Baldwin Jr. And there was a lot of questions with his tape, his past season in college. But I mean, you know, sort of similar to what I said about Blake Wesley, if there's any situation where Patrick Baldwin Jr. is going to work out and maximize his abilities, it's going to be here with Golden State Warriors. So, man, I mean, I could have been worried about Patrick Baldwin if he went somewhere else. Now that he's going to the Golden State Warriors, I really am not all that worried at all. And instead I'm fearful that he's going to turn out to be the top 10 player in this class that he was projected to be heading into this season. So what are your thoughts on Patrick Baldwin Jr. being the selection here for the Warriors? I love the swing. I I really think he's going to shoot it. I think those mechanics are too good for him not to. And I'm just kind of throwing out the tape from Milwaukee, honestly. Uh, The only thing I'm taking away from that is that he's not a number one guy. And oh, look, he's going to a place where he will never be asked to be that. And he's going to be given time to develop and kind of improve what he needs to. So I I love the swing. If it doesn't hit, they don't really lose anything from it. Um, And he's going to a really, you know, nurturing environment that's proven they're willing to be patient with guys. Up next at 29th overall, this was one of my favorite selections of the first round. Honestly, the Houston Rockets get Ty Ty Washington. And, you know, he's someone who I think a lot of draft evaluators soured on as the season went along. But I think him at 29 is a really solid value selection for the Rockets. I buy into his playmaking, I think, a lot more than most people. Part of that is because when he did have the ball in his hands, as opposed to Severe Wheeler having the ball in his hands, I thought he was pretty impressive as a playmaking point guard. And I think that that part of his game will be really emphasized in Houston, given that, you know, they have Jalen Green in the fold as someone who's going to be taking a lot of the touches on offense, but isn't exactly much of a distributor. So I think that part of his game will be really emphasized by the Rockets. I think he's a solid enough off-ball shooter that he can be effective without the ball in his hands. And when he has the ball in his hands, I think he'll have a lot of options as a playmaker. So you know, if it turns out that I am right about him being a better playmaking point guard than he got credit for, I think this will be an absolute home run for the Rockets. But even if it doesn't work out, I think that he'll be a pretty solid contributing role player for them. And to get that kind of player at 29 is, I think, a pretty solid pickup for the Houston Rockets. The value here is pretty extraordinary. Um, I, I was kind of surprised yeah. that he fell this far. And I, I had Ty Ty in the, tw- in the 20s, but... I, I really like the pick and roll stuff. I think he's a really good shooter. I think this fit is just really good for him because he can be that stabilizing presence at point, but he doesn't need to, you know, quote unquote, run the offense. He can play a little bit off ball um, and then he can facilitate for those guys who are the more, you know, prominent scoring options. So just in terms of fit, in terms of upside, in terms of what he showed, even, you know, just as a freshman, I, I really, really like this pick by Houston. 
And finally, closing out the first round of the 2022 NBA draft and part one of our post-draft extravaganza here over on the NBA Deep Dives podcast, the Denver Nuggets ended up with this selection at 30th, and they took a swing that I think makes a lot of sense here with Peyton Watson out of UCLA. I think on the offensive end, really, most of what he's going to be doing is just you know similar to what I was saying for Christian Brown at 21, right? Mostly just cutting off ball and letting Nikola Jokic feed him inside. And I think he has a ton of defensive potential. He didn't get much of a chance to show much of anything at UCLA. I know that you have thoughts on that that are more severe than my thoughts. And my thoughts are pretty severe on that front. But, you know, Peyton Watson was someone who I had at the top of my second round, but for him to be the swing at 30 here for Denver, I think makes a ton of sense. And I mean, you know, talk about player being maximized in the situation they're going to. I mean, if there's any situation where Peyton Watson can grow slowly on the offensive end and contribute sooner rather than later on the defensive end, this is a wonderful fit, I think, for him with the Denver Nuggets. But your thoughts, closing out the first round, Peyton Watson going to the Denver Nuggets. I, I love the home run swing. Um, I, I really think Peyton Watson is a much better player than what he was allowed to show. I think he's got some crazy defensive upside. And then... I think he's got a lot more to his game on offense in terms of cutting offensive rebounding and playmaking. He was a really good passer in high school and he wasn't allowed to do anything on offense this year. So I think, I think the long-term hope is that he can, you know, kind of develop a little more into what Aaron Gordon um, has shown for them a little more defensively, probably a, a little less offensively. And if he can do that, then great value. And, you know, again, like with all these late first round home run swings, if he doesn't, okay, whatever. It's you know, it's just a missed late first round pick, which happens all the time. So you're you're betting on pedigree, you're betting on pre or pre college tape, and there are some really promising trends for that. All right, that does it for the first round and for part one of this podcast. So before we move into part two, Tyler, quick plugs. Uh no ceilings, everything. Just go follow us. Go support us over there. We're going to keep content rolling out throughout the summer. A little less than what we were doing pre-draft, uh, but we're still going to have stuff. So make sure to keep you know coming to hang out. All right. He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And you can, of course, find his work on No Ceilings NBA, as well as hashtag basketball and catasupas. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can find my written work on No Ceilings NBA, as well as hashtag basketball and Nets Republic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either on Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.